Uh, I wish I could share a little bit more about what Pastor Brian means to me as well, but I think we could go on forever with that. I'll, I'll just share this very quickly. It's something that he doesn't know either. When Alyn and I first came up to Massachusetts, uh, we were church hopping. We were just looking for a place to go to service on a Sunday, and we walked into Mount Hope in Burlington. We were driving from Quincy, and it was not an easy commute, but we were looking for a place to call home as a church, and I remember uh, meeting Pastor Rick and Pastor Brian, and Pastor Brian was up on stage, and he was just praying or tell, doing the announcements or something like that. I remember the Holy Spirit of God speaking so clearly in that moment with this word that Paul uses in the New Testament. The word is co-laborer. I remember so clearly hearing it that Sunday morning, and we were just there looking for a church. We were not looking for partners in ministry. And here we are almost 15 years later, and God has made you a co-laborer, and we are... I am so grateful for our partnership. And I'll say something else I've never said to you before. I do love you, and I'm so grateful for you and the ministry that we get to partner in together. So if you have your Bibles this morning, so much of what we've been talking about this past couple of weeks is about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what the Holy Spirit is doing in us and through us. And we've been answering some big questions over these last couple of weeks. Questions about, I follow Jesus, dot, 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 and we would leave with this question. Why did he leave? Why do I still sin? How do I know I'm making progress in my walk with Christ? And what am I supposed to do? All of these big questions we've been asking, and every single question, if you haven't been with us these last four weeks, let me give you the answer. It's been a simple one. It's been the Holy Spirit doing and being in relationship with us and doing things through us that we could never accomplish on our own. So when it comes to dealing with sin, it's not about me just working harder and doing better. It's about allowing the Spirit to work through me and to walk step by step with the Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit of God to have control and to guide and to counsel every single day. This morning, in a few minutes that we have in front of us, the question that we're going to ask is, I follow Jesus, but how do I let others know that I do? I think for many of us, the tension that we feel is the tension that's in the sentence. I follow Jesus, but no one really knows. I follow Jesus on the down low. It's very, very personal. It's something only I really know about because I struggle to share it with others. And that's interesting because we live in a world of oversharing. Oversharing is a part of the culture that we're in. I mean, think about how many times a day you're just scrolling through your phone and you're thinking to yourself, why would they share that? How many times do you say to yourself, no one cares, yet you decided that this was something worth sharing? Our world shares what we eat, what we did, what we wore, who I hate, the, the personal health information, private security information. We are oversharing all the time. In fact, I heard in a headline the other day, a group of hackers, so computer hackers who steal your identity, were interviewed and they were asked by companies who create anti-piracy software, they were asked this question, how come it's still easy for you to hack into people's private information despite all this technology? And the answer was always simple, because people are so willing to share all their information. It's so easy to get dates of birth, where you're going, when you're home, when you're not. It's easy to get that information because we live in a world of oversharing. In fact, recently, a couple of weeks ago, 
a group of girls, they just finished a seven-year prison sentence in Australia for smuggling over $21 million of cocaine on a cruise ship. Now, if you ask them why did they do it, they were getting to travel by, on cruise ships by smuggling the drugs that was being paid for their trips. Why did they do that? So they could go to different locations and post photos from those locations. That was it. They were looking for something to share. But I'm assuming if you're here this morning, that's not the tension you're facing. The tension you and I face is that we have something to share, but sometimes we just don't know how to do it and we're uncomfortable doing it. Because sharing what we know about Jesus Christ and sharing what we know about what he's done in my life and your life might require some strain on some relationships. It might make me embarrassed in front of others. It might make me an outsider in my group of friends if I share what I know. So the tension we feel is not to overshare, it's to share it all. And so this morning, as we look into scripture, we're going to look into the lives of the disciples and one disciple in specific who's going to demonstrate to us what that could look like for you and me. In the New Testament, you might remember when Jesus Christ goes to the cross and then is buried and then rises again from the dead, he finds his disciples cowering in fear as they're huddled together, worried about the future and what's going to happen next in their lives. They are scared. They're not the type to go out boldly and proclaim anything because of what just happened. Their worlds were rocked. But then you fast forward a little bit in their lives, a couple of weeks in their lives, Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, you'll see this. They're standing in front of governments and rulers and elders and priests, and they're boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. What happened? How did they go from cowering in a room scared for their lives to now saying we will even give our lives for the sake of this gospel? What happened in those weeks? The Bible tells us of Jesus' final recorded words on this earth. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says like this, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and what will happen? You will be my witnesses. So if you want to know what happened from cowering in a room to boldly proclaiming the gospel, this is what happened. They received power from the Holy Spirit and they became witnesses. Now, if you're sitting here right now, there's probably a part of you that says, yeah, that's great. I can see someone in the New Testament or in the Bible 2,000 years ago doing this, but this is not me. If you fast forward a couple of chapters in the book of Acts, we come to Acts chapter 8, and that's where we'll be this morning for a few minutes as I fast forward through the sermon. <laughs> the question we're asking is, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in the mission God has given us? If you have your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 8, and I'll be reading from verse 26, and I'll read a few verses there and then fill in the blanks. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. 
He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. When we come to this passage of scripture, we get to see boldness on display, but it doesn't really look like the boldness that we saw with Stephen and with Peter and some other disciples and followers of Jesus who boldly proclaimed the gospel in front of crowds and audiences, in front of kings and governors. It's a very different type of boldness. And in this passage, we get to see the role the Holy Spirit plays in yours and my mission, which is to be Christ's witnesses on this earth. What's the role that he plays? The first thing we see is that the Holy Spirit positions us somewhere. The Holy Spirit positions us. He puts us in the right place. If you see how this chapter or this passage begins, it's, Philip getting direction from God's spirit, from an angel of the Lord saying, I want you to take this certain road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza, a road that likely wouldn't have been taken, a road that headed south through the desert. And that's it. That was all the direction that Philip got. Just take this road. There was no, hey, Philip, take this road and you will meet this Ethiopian treasurer, this official. You will talk to him. You will lead him to Christ. You will lead him to baptism. There was none of that. It was simply, Philip, go for a walk. And in your going, something is going to likely happen. It was, Philip, just obey what I'm asking you to do today. You see, the Holy Spirit positions us places us, puts us in the right place. In fact, when Philip is walking, as he's walking, he sees this man sitting in his chariot reading a scroll of scripture. And here's what the Bible says. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. And that's it. No next steps. Just go. In your moving, in your going, in your day, listen for the Holy Spirit because he is going to place you in the right place at the right time. I want to stop for a second and ask how many of us honestly can say that we have created space in our hearts and our minds for the Holy Spirit to guide our steps during the day. 
I've got to be honest, during my day, my day is built around me. It's me going to my job, me getting into my car and going somewhere and doing my job to pay my bills and take care of my family. And everything in that day is built around me. But the story of Philip and the Ethiopian official tells us something. That when we start to see our day through the lens of the Holy Spirit, through the relationship we have with the Holy Spirit, we start to recognize that the little things that we think we're doing for ourselves could very well be part of the positioning that the Holy Spirit has for you and me every single day. To put us in the right place at the right time. But the truth is my day begins all about me. And everything I'm thinking and doing and, and saying is about me and that day being about me. But what if every day I started with a space in my life to be open to the Holy Spirit at work in me? To say, God, I'm going to go to this job that you've given me. I'm going to go to that classroom that you've placed me in. God, I want you in my going to put me in the right place at the right time. To see my job and my school and my interactions with my family as not just me going through my day, but me going through my day with the Holy Spirit positioning me every single part of that day. The Holy Spirit positions us, but so often, if I'm honest, I don't even recognize that he's doing that. I don't recognize that he wants me to go down a certain aisle in the, in the grocery store, that he wants me to talk to a certain person or text someone in my contacts on my phone. I don't recognize that. Why? Because my relationship with the Holy Spirit is distant enough that I don't recognize when he's really speaking to me. I'm not listening for him in that moment during the day. Very recently, Alina and I, we were uh, with some friends. We were all gathered, there were several different families. And I noticed that we were, all the adults were in one room and all the children were in another room and there was a lot of conversation taking place. The adults were in one room talking to each other. And there were some adults, some families who had children who were 9, 10, 11, 12 years old and some families who had children who were 1, 2, 3, 4 years old. And you know, if you watch the adults in that room, I, my, me personally, I have two boys who are 10 and almost nine years old. When I'm sitting in that room, I'm just in the conversation, listening to the conversation, focused in on the other adults in the room. But what about the parents with the one, two, and three-year-olds? They've got part of their ears in that conversation, but they've got another ear listening for every cry, every bang, every thud, every scream, every shout, every bad word. They're listening for everything. I wasn't listening for any of that. Police sirens, maybe. But other than that, there was nothing I was listening for. Because in my mind, I don't have to be focused there. I'm focused in this room. And so often, this is what we do. We're so focused on the room, the, the world that we're in. Work, school, family, sports, things that I have to do and accomplish. That I'm never listening to that other room. I'm never listening to the Holy Spirit telling me, hey, in your going, talk to that person. In your going, as you're moving through your day, there's someone I'm positioning you in front of, a coworker, a friend, a roommate, a family member that I'm positioning you in front of. 
But how do we recognize that unless we are close to the Holy Spirit, daily recognizing that every room I'm in, every car I sit in, every ride that I take is part of him positioning me throughout the day. So not only does the Holy Spirit position us, he prompts us. Because I bet if you're like me, being in the right place is not the hard part. It's that fear of saying the right thing that keeps me from telling others about Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit plays a role in this. Remember, the Holy Spirit says to Philip, go and stand next to this chariot. Here's Philip's response to that. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? I think it's worth reminding ourselves what that sentence looks like. It is not a declarative sentence. Jesus is Messiah. Believe on him or you will go to hell. Philip walks up to the Ethiopian official and he asks a question. That's it. For so many of us, boldness is something that we've misunderstood over time. We've convinced ourselves that boldness is when I stand in front of governments. Boldness is when I have a bullhorn and yell into the bullhorn for people to follow Jesus. Boldness is wearing a sandwich board and handing out pamphlets at Fenway Park. Those are great things, by the way. That's boldness. But that's not the only kind of boldness we see. Philip is a reminder that boldness is oftentimes being bold enough to ask a question to someone that we interact with during the day. A simple question. Now, Philip would eventually open up all of scripture and explain it to the Ethiopian official. And this is why, again, being obedient to God's spirit means being in God's word. It means learning it, consuming it, absorbing it, knowing it. That's a giant part of this journey. But Philip's entire process with this Ethiopian official begins with a question. The question is simple. Do you understand what you're reading? He meets him in his moment, in what he's doing. For so many of us, this is the key to boldness to check in on people that we know and to ask a question, to talk to a coworker, a colleague, a friend, a relative, and simply ask a question. How are you doing? How have things been going lately? Are you getting much sleep these days? Oh, that must be tough. Tell me more about that. Why do you think that way? What is it that stops you from thinking that? If we could learn to ask questions in a bold way, do you see the results that could happen? It's something that we often misunderstand when we believe boldness is yelling at the top of our lungs in front of a crowd. When so often boldness is going before that person that God is positioning you in front of to simply ask a simple question that would lead them into conversation. This is what boldness looks like. In fact, this entire conversation that we have between Philip and the eunuch, there's a long part of that conversation that the Bible doesn't record. Do you know which parts it does record? The Bible records four questions. That's it. Do you understand what you are reading? How can I unless someone explains it to me? Who is the prophet talking about? 
here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? It's just four questions. Because questions are what often starts the process of boldness. And Jesus Christ says in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. It doesn't just say you will preach or you will teach. It says you will bear witness. In other words, you will tell of what I've already done for you or what I've told you. You will tell that to others. When Jesus promises the Holy Spirit in John 14, he says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things and remind you all these things that I said unto you. The role of the Holy Spirit in witnessing is to be so in relationship with him, to be so connected to him that we recognize where he's positioning us and obediently follow the prompts that he's placed in our lives. To say, I know that this person you've put in my life for a season like this. Many of you have been through base camp and you know this, that when we go through base camp, we spend some time praying together. I'll tell you this, after years and years of holding base camps, the most common prayer request that we get is, can you pray for my unbelieving or unsaved or non-believing husband, wife, child, friend? And we do pray for that for sure. But sometimes we don't recognize the prompts that the Holy Spirit has given us in those lives. We're not asking the questions. We're not engaging in the conversation. We're not taking that next step because we simply don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. This morning, for some of you, even as we're sitting here, the Holy Spirit is revealing to you a name, a face, a person. And asking you, can you boldly approach them with one question? A text, a message, a conversation face-to-face, -face, an email. Can you bring a question before them? Because all of us play a part like Philip did in that process. Do you notice that Philip didn't just walk up to an Ethiopian official and suddenly just start preaching the gospel? He engaged him on what he was already doing. And this is where you and I have an opportunity to truly recognize what witnessing and evangelism looks like. It's a process. God was at work. The Holy Spirit was at work before Philip got there, right? We see him reading scripture. The Holy Spirit was at work when Philip got there. And the Holy Spirit is at work after Philip leaves that moment as well. And so it's part of a process, a process of trusting the Holy Spirit and knowing that you and I play a part in that process in witnessing to one person, maybe sharing one thing about Christ, demonstrating what a Christian looks like through our lives, maybe answering one question, maybe pointing them to one link or one other person that can potentially help answer some of their questions. We play a part in the process. But when we don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, that process breaks down. There's a story that I've shared here before, an example of what this looked like in my own life. In 2004, I had an opportunity to go to Guyana, a country in South America, and do, go along with a big group of young people. And we went and held a bunch of uh, services and meetings and gatherings there. And one night, we'd held this large outdoor event. And I remember finishing speaking at the event and standing down at the front. And we were praying together with people who had come up for prayer. 
And I remember just standing there in a corner just like this and praying and hearing God's Holy Spirit tell me to open my eyes. And when I opened my eyes, there was a man in the far back of that area, that open area, way back, a very tall, large man that stuck out from everyone else. And that's all. And then that push starts to hit my heart. Go talk to him. Go talk to him. I'm like, no, why? Why would I do that? He didn't come up for prayer. I don't have to walk all the way back there. And I remember just standing there. After a few minutes of hearing that over and over again, I finally said, all right, I'll walk over to him. And I walked over to him, and he didn't say a word to me. I tried to share the gospel with him. I tried to talk to him. He would not say a word to me. And I spoke a little bit more, and I prayed with him at the end, and I awkwardly walked away thinking, what did I just do? I did not hear the Spirit right. Something was wrong there, and I just walked away from that moment. Three days later, we were holding baptisms in the Atlantic Ocean, actually. We were right, off the, right by the ocean, and we were holding baptisms there. And many people throughout the week had attended these classes, and then they'd come to take water baptism in the ocean. I was in the water holding a camera, uh, just taking photos of the entire moment. And I feel this tap on my shoulder and I turn around and it was that man from that night. And he says to me, I will never forget you. And he smiles and walks into the ocean and gets baptized and comes out and gives me this big hug. And then I start asking him, what just happened? And he starts to share his story. He tells me, his name was Reginald, and he says... I am the most notorious thief in this entire area. I'm a pickpocket. I had heard that there was a group of Americans that had come here, and so I was coming to steal from them. And while I stood in the back of that room watching who I'll steal from, I saw you. And I thought, that's a guy I could easily steal from. He's probably right, too. And he stood in the back and he stared at me. So when I opened my eyes, I saw Reginald looking at me. And so I walked over and started speaking to him. And he said, every moment you were speaking to me, I was trying to move my hands. I couldn't move them. I just listened to what you were saying. And when you prayed for me, something broke inside of me. And I knew I never wanted to be a thief again. And so he actually attended some of those classes, decided to get baptized, and was getting baptized that day. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, I share this story with a little bit of a warning, though. Do you notice I shared a story from 2004? Because sometimes we can believe that that's what happens all the time. We can assume that we see the beginning, middle, and end. We learn the whole thing that happens, and we find someone coming to Christ, and everything is amazing. But the truth is, the vast majority of time, you will play a small part in the process that God is working in someone's life. That you'll be obedient to the Holy Spirit, you will make a decision at work, you will live your life a certain way, you will say something to someone next to you, you will display kindness and love and grace, you will explain maybe what God has done in your own life in one little moment, and that will be the building block that leads someone to Christ over time, because the Holy Spirit works before you get there, he works while you're there, and he works after you're done. I'll tell you, there are stories I have no idea how they ended. Students who came to office hours and I told them about Christ, I have no idea what happened to them. That's what typically happens. And so for you and me to answer the question, I follow Jesus, but how do I let others know? 
It's simply this, that the Holy Spirit positions us and prompts us in a process that brings God glory. And every day, you and I are being positioned with people around us. We're being prompted to ask bold questions, ultimately in a process that brings God glory. And so this morning, as our worship team comes back and we prepare to close this to, to our service today, I'm going to invite us one more time, as we've been doing throughout these past few weeks, to relate to the Holy Spirit. To simply ask the Holy Spirit, God, what are you asking of me? Who are you placing before me right now? I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. I know we've gone a little over time. But this morning, there are people in your lives right now that God has positioned you for and he's prompting your heart for right now. Ask the Holy Spirit, God, who is it? Is it my coworker? Is it my friend? Is it my classmate? Who is it? And as those faces, those names become clearer to you, understand that's the Holy Spirit at work in your heart. Ask him for the prompt. God, what should I say? How do I approach him? What do I say to her? How should that text read? What should that saying be? What's the question I lead with? Can you imagine if the church, God's church, lived every day with this knowledge that this day is about him, that I am positioned for a purpose, I'm prompted to accomplish the mission that he's called me to for a process that brings him glory. What if we lived like this every day? I know right now there are probably some names and faces coming to you. What if we did this every morning? Every morning. God, in my going, as I walk, as I talk, as I work, God, in my going, position me, prompt me, use me. Lord, I thank you. I thank you because you are at work in some lives, even right now, who are not even here. And you're calling us to carry on that process. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the names and the faces you're revealing to us right now. God, we lack boldness. We lack courage. We're like the disciples cowering in a room. But Holy Spirit, fill us. Holy Spirit, let your, let your presence be so evident in my life every day that I see the people that you are positioning me in front of, that I hear the prompt that you're giving me. Have your way through us. Help us to be people who just seek you first every day. Not the type who just think every day is about us, but that every day is a chance to bring you glory. God, we give you all the thanks again. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.